You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Welcome to the pinnacle of wrestling entertainment, Premier Streaming Network. Join us at watchonpremier.com to unlock the ultimate wrestling experience, curated to perfection. Immerse yourself in the spectacular world of wrestling history, where classic battles and unforgettable moments are at your fingertips. Join us today and experience the epitome of curated wrestling content, because when it comes to wrestling entertainment, Premier sets the standard. Be Premier. What's up, everybody? It's Marcus D'Angelo, and we are back for episode three of Everybody's Got a Pod. And I'm joined, of course, by the Hall of Famer, the Million Dollar Man, the legend, Ted DiBiase. Ted, we're back, brother. Hey, brother. It's it's good to be back, Marcus. And I'm I'm, I'm gosh, from you, I'm hearing a lot of good uh, good 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 feedback. Man, it's been incredible so far. A lot of folks have reached out to me on my personal social media, and not a single one of them has had anything negative to say i'm sure there's folks with some negativity here and there on youtube or wherever but none of it none of it's coming at me so far everybody's loving what we're doing and so am i man uh it's it's been a blast so far hasn't it that's been great i'm i'm loving it too so yeah i mean it's like uh and it's it gives me an opportunity to go go back into into the history of what i did and and some of those stories and of course you know uh uh, I'll be 70 years old in January, and they they say like you know as you get older you naturally lose some of your, you know your ability to remember things. It's funny though, it's like if I'm prompted, I can remember stuff I did, you know like 20 years ago, and I can't remember what I did yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, so far it's, it's, you've been great. And all the stuff that I've been hearing from folks online is like, man, Ted's a great storyteller, man. He really is able to go into detail and we've got plenty, plenty more to cover. I mean, it's a tip of the iceberg. All we've talked about is 1988 and you, you had a hell of a nice long career and it's still going. So, uh, so yeah, we'll have a lot of fun talking about that. But today, Ted, we're talking about the new generation era. We're looking back to 1995 and the first ever in your house when you were acting as a manager for uh, Money, Inc. But before we get there, Ted, I did want to mention, first of all, uh, that if you're watching us, it means you've subscribed to Premiere Plus on Premiere Streaming Network, which is the only place to get this podcast on video and with no commercials. If you're just listening to this right now, just go and check it out. It doesn't cost you anything to look. It's Premiere Streaming Network at PremiereStreamingNetwork.com. That's P-R-E-M-I-E-R, StreamingNetwork.com. Your destination for everybody's got a pod, exclusive videos, your favorite sports and entertainment events from around the world. They just added a, a podcast with RVD to this network as well. Uh, and, man, it's they're constantly growing, constantly adapting, and just, the future looks bright over there. So just go and check it out. Let's get into our subject this week. You know, it's 1995, and at this point, Ted, you your in career, in ring career, uh, was over. 
It has ended in uh, 1993. 2023 marks the 30-year anniversary of your retirement, and we will be talking about that this year. Uh, SummerSlam, your final match with Razor Ramon is coming up. Marcus, Uh, did you have to remind me? (laughs) (laughs) My God. Uh, I've been been retired 30 years. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's incredible. It's incredible. It doesn't feel like I I remember it. Uh, So it doesn't feel like that long ago. And SummerSlam is coming up fast, SummerSlam season. So we'll be talking about your match with Razor Ramon, what happened with you in Japan. All of that is coming up. Uh, but for right now, I just want to ask, here in 1995, how are you feeling about your new role in the company as a manager? Uh, you know, I was I was getting used to it. I mean, I, obviously, the, the thing I was most con- comfortable with always was wrestling. You know, being an in-ring talent and everything. And, of course, you know, nothing lasts forever. And... Um, you know, and, and because of, and, and a lot of people even said, you know, Ted, you still had some good years left if you wanted them in terms, in terms of in-ring. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I knew that. But, you know, uh, my dad was 45 years old when he had a heart attack in a ring in Lubbock, Texas, and died. Um, now... Mike DiBiase was not my biological father, but he was the dad that raised me. And, and I lost him at the age of 15. He was 45. Uh, he died of what they call arteriosclerosis, hardening of the arteries. Of course, they, they don't, they didn't know. And, you know, at, at that time, a lot of the things they know about the heart and, and other things, but, you know, he had had a couple of checkups and I think he knew, we all think that he knew that something wasn't right, but, you know, he wasn't ready to, he wasn't ready to quit. I mean, in his own words, he saw that I had some football talent uh, my freshman year in, in Omaha. And he said, you know what, we're going to go back. We're, I'm going to go back and wrestle for the Funks in Texas uh, and let you finish high school there. Because he, he, he knew that Texas high school football, there's none better. Mm-hmm. And, and see, see, yeah, I can get a scholarship somewhere. Uh, but that was his thoughts. And, you know, we went back that summer and in July, he had a hard hang diet. Um, so I guess part of me was like, I'm not going to stay too long. Uh, you know, and there, and there's, there, there are some guys and and a couple of guys and, uh, you know, and and I won't mention names because I love them that are still wrestling or are still trying to wrestle. And, uh, it just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart when I see them because they look terrible. I mean, they, they don't look like they should be in a wrestling ring at this point in time in their life. And right. it just, uh, but I understand, you know, as much as I hate it when I see it, I, I get it. I understand. I understand why they do it. So I don't know. Man, don't it made any sense. No, it did. And look, like it's it's got to be so such a strange feeling where after all the like the years of training, the years on the road, all the things that you did to get where you are to all of a sudden just say like, OK, I'm never going to take another bump again. Like that's that's got to be a really bizarre feeling. Hard to hard to come to terms with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is especially I mean, uh, there's a lot of people that go to work every day, Marcus. And and and, and you know what? They, they go. Uh, and, and some people like what they do, but not everybody likes what they do. There's a lot of people who go to work every day simply because they have to put food on the table mm-hmm. and, and they don't necessarily love what they do. I absolutely, uh, I lived, ate and dreamed wrestling. I mean, I was a kid who grew up in it, watched his dad, watched other guys. And, 
from from get from the get go. I was determined. I mean, I had already signed a natural uh, a a letter of intent, a a conference letter of intent to play college football at the University of Arizona. And uh, wrestling came on one day. I had not seen any wrestling since my father's death. And this is the wrestling out of Amarillo, Texas. They're coming to Tucson to have a show. They were, they were, they were kind of experimenting is what they were trying to do to see if they could get enough, you know, enough of a crowd interest to start coming to Arizona and branch out a little bit. So anyway, I go to Tucson. I haven't seen the funks since my father's death. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a senior in high school. I've, I've signed a letter of intent to play, at Arizona, which is in Tucson, and I and there are the funks. And Terry says, "Hey, Teddy, it's good to see you, man." He says, "I tell you what," he says, "if you want to, he says, I can make arrangements for you to take a recruiting trip to West Texas State, and even if you know what you're going to do, just take the trip because the trip is free, but it gives you an opportunity to come back and and visit with us and and a lot of your old friends." And so I said, "Man, that that sounds great," and and, and I'm going to tell you what though, it's all it took. I got back to Amarillo. Uh, I, 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 I saw a lot of people that I, that I had known that I hadn't seen in a very long time. And, you know, and so everybody just wondered, why did you choose West Texas State University over the University of Arizona? And I, what I never told anybody was it wasn't about football. It was about <laughs> wrestling. You know, I chose West Texas State because I knew West Texas State would put me closer, uh, you know, to the Funk family and, and and back within arm's reach of of the wrestling industry. And all my life, that's what I wanted to do. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, I was on a scholarship at West Texas State, full scholarship. But you know, in the summer, most of the guys went home. I didn't. I stayed there. And I think one one summer, I uh, I roofed houses. Oh my gosh, horrible. But anyway, the summer between my sophomore and junior year, I refereed uh, the NCAA. You know, there used to be a ruling where if you compete, com- competed professionally in any sport, you lost your amateur status altogether. But then they changed it to where you could compete in one sport as an amateur and still maintain your status as uh, I'm sorry, you could compete as a professional in one sport and be paid. And uh, only you would only use your status as an amateur in that sport. In other words, uh. you, could, you could play football, you know, uh, if you play, if you played, uh, you know, obviously I would play professionally, but if, like professional wrestling, that would mean I couldn't wrestle as an amateur anymore because it got paid. But anyway, uh, that, that summer between my, my, uh, sophomore and junior year, I refereed. My summer job was I was a referee in the Amarillo territory <laughs> every night, seven <laughs> days a week. And, uh, and I, you know, I don't know how much you know about Mark, about wrestling markers, but I'm telling you being the third man in the ring, you'll learn a lot because you're right there. You're, you're watching what they're doing and you're hearing what they're, what they're saying to one another. And, and, and then I got a lot of encouragement too. And they said, gosh, you know, they said, you know, everybody called me Teddy. They said, gosh, Teddy, man, you know, you, you picked this up quick. I said, well, I, I, this is what I like. I, I grew up in this, but I was, I was watching and I was learning 
<laughs> and so, uh, and then, and here's the thing that then, uh, the, the, the summer after my junior year, uh, Dick Murdoch, uh, who's a guy that a lot of people know. And, and Dick Murdoch was a very good wrestler, very good wrestler. He was going, and he said, he told me, he said, Teddy, I'm going to work for Bill Watts. Uh, he's now a partner with a guy named Leroy McGurk. And the territory is all of Oklahoma and Arkansas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. And they call it Mid-South. And I'm going to go to work for him. He says, you know what? If you want, I'll talk to Bill Watts. And if you want to get your feet wet this summer, you can. So, Because now I could go compete in professional wrestling and get paid and still maintain my amateur status in football. Oh man. And so that's what I did. I, I went and, uh, it was really as, as good as it turned out. I mean, the, but the bad thing was when the summer came to an end, I had had so much, I was so ready. I said, I'm not going back. I said, <laughs> why do I, you know, and, and oh, oh my gosh. I mean, I remember, uh, uh, Terry Funk and 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 his wife Vicky were you know kind of like second parents to me you know and and and, and Terry Terry was tough Teddy you got one year left you know go back and finish college you got one year left uh, but but his wife Vicky Vicky was well she was really she was really mad <laughs> and I said I'm not doing it I said look I grew up in this business this is why uh, this is why I came back to West Texas State is that I wanted to be around wrestling. And I said, because everything has gone so well this summer and I'm getting so much encouragement from so many people, I know this, this is going to be my life. So, you know, one more year, you know, but you know, now as a guy who's almost 70, I look back at that and go, you idiot. I mean, I had, I had one year left to cut, you know, and I think about it now. What if, what if I had gotten hurt oh, and man. a lot of guys get hurt and they can't, they can't wrestle anymore. Or yeah, what if something like that had happened and you, you know, you, and you didn't, you know, you didn't finish, you know, you, you could have had that degree. And if you got hurt, you could have been gone, been a, a coach and a teacher, uh, by the, by the grace of God, you know what? God takes cool. Take God takes care of fools. <laughs> and I was a fool. <laughs> well, and you know, when you're at that age, I know at least for me, somebody could have even probably come to you and said, "Hey, Ted, what if you get hurt?" And at that age, it's the answer is like, "I'm not going to get hurt." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's just that was nuts. But hey, look, everything ended well, and I mean, you know, it's the the start of this this love affair you have with wrestling. Um, and now here we are. Um, we're coming off the heels of of WrestleMania 11. And uh, the main event featured uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, who's who's a guy we've talked about here before, but yeah. then a guy who's not a wrestler, and that's Lawrence Taylor, a celebrity uh, uh, in right. the main event of WrestleMania, man. Now, that that had happened with Mr. T, of course, uh, at WrestleMania 1, but that was a tag team match. Here he was. He was going one-on-one -on -one with Bam Bam. You're ringside. What did you think of the whole thing? Oh, you know what? I, I, I was worried. I really was. I, I was worried because, I mean, you know, Bam, you know, Bam Bam was, you know, he was one of my guys, uh, and, and Bam Bam was good, you know, and, you know, and, and, and he had, uh, you know, he, he had been there, I think before and, and, and left and came back, but, uh, I just didn't know, you know, you know, with, with Lawrence Taylor, I mean, obviously athletically, there's nothing Lawrence Taylor, you know, couldn't do. Yeah. I mean, uh, oh my gosh, you know, one of the greatest, you know, 
football players of all time. Yes. And, and, uh, but this is not his normal territory. And so I was there, uh, you know, to, I guess to be a helping hand too, if, if he needed any help. And as it turned out, he really didn't need, he didn't really need a lot of help. And, and I'll be honest, it, it turned out a lot better than I even thought it would. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, watching it back, it's like, you know, you expect to see people kind of stumbling around and, you know, screwing yeah. things up here and there. A lot of a lot of like quick cuts to the outside to, you know, yeah. avoid stuff. But no, like I, I thought he did fine. Um, however, you know, not everybody was real satisfied with it. We'll talk about WrestleMania 11 in long form at some point down the road here. Uh, but I've got this from The Observer. Bitterness already in the WWF locker room somewhat over the Taylor deal because some actually believe the $1 million plus points figure, but more so the feeling that the other football players who basically didn't do much but stay in the corner got more than the wrestlers did. Most figured this would happen when the Mania paychecks came in 90 or so days, but it's already there now. Uh, so... LT's payoff would later be revealed to be closer to $100,000, which is nothing to sneeze at. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, do you recall the resentment among the boys about the whole thing? Yeah, I, I do. I, I do. But I also, you know, the other part of me is, um, you know, here's a guy who's, he's not just a professional football player. He's one of the top football, pro football players in the entire league. And, and and most known athletes in the world. Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. And so, uh, you know what? The million dollar man says everybody's got a price. <laughs> and you know, Lars Taylor had his price, and you know, and you know what? And I think you know, uh, you know, I, I personally, I think he he earned it. He earned it. Not, I mean, you know, his notoriety wasn't all about wrestling, but we were taking somebody. We took him as a football player because everybody. <laughs> Everybody in the United States, you know, and, and, and well, maybe in Canada. I mean, not everybody in the world knew who Lawrence Taylor was because the NFL doesn't go everywhere. It's just in the United States. But everybody in the United States knew who Lawrence Taylor was. And uh, that brought that brought more notoriety to the WWF as far as I'm concerned. It's like when we started pulling in, and that was something I think was genius on Vince's part is when he started pulling in these people you know, like from outside of wrestling that were well-known celebrities and, 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 and using them, it just helped build our, our, our presence, you know, you know, overall. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm sure it's hard to explain that to the guys who are, you know, coming in every day and busting their butts and getting beat up. And then all of a sudden the superstar comes in and makes all the money like But really on paper, if you can look at it objectively, it's like, man, you're getting a lot of eyeballs on the product, which is good for everybody long term. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that's I'm sure that's what what, what Vince was thinking, you know. And of course, um, th that was the other thing. Um, and another way I looked at it, you know, um, regional wrestling territory wrestling you know it it ended with vent when vince made this move you know and as the story goes uh when he began this he went around to all the promoters all the the head guys of those territories every ter every territory in the country and he told them this is what i'm about to do and i'm here to see if you want to join me if you want to be a part of what i'm about to do and, you know, all those, all those other promoters, you know, well, just, there were a couple, but most of them said no, because they want to do their own thing. 
Right. And I don't I don't think that they believed that Vince McMahon was capable of basically taking over the wrestling world. And and he did, you know, and I, I think some of those guys uh, in hindsight would say, man, I wish I had an opportunity to uh, cast a, a different vote. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they don't, their children and grandchildren probably wish it right about now with that yeah. sale to, to Endeavor. Holy smokes. Um, but, and, and yeah, I mean, to your point, um, he's trying stuff and he's trying to make it more mainstream. And at this time he really needed to, because business is way down at this time. Uh, and I'm sure morale is way down, which is probably why guys are so frustrated. But, um, but Vince is trying some stuff, man. We've got this from the 41795 observer, Shawn Michaels, who is the wrestling star of the show. He's talking about WrestleMania. He's doing an injury angle leading to a babyface turn stemming from the incident next night with Psycho Sid. The decision to turn Michaels was based on him getting cheered at most of the arenas in the weeks leading up to WrestleMania and him getting almost as many, if not more, cheers than Diesel at the big show. From the traditional standpoint, because of his size, Michaels looked to be about 195 to 200 pounds at WrestleMania. Looks, charisma, and how well he sells, he looks to be tailor-made for the babyface role. The only problem with the, with that is the WWF is so weak on the heel side to begin with, and this turn leaves them almost totally dependent on a rushed push of Sid to anchor the heel side. Sid, who is immediately put with Ted DiBiase's Million Dollar Corporation, will headline the 514 pay-per-view show from Syracuse, New York, in a title match against Diesel. I kept calling it Money, Inc. before. It was the Million Dollar yeah. Corporation, so that's yeah. my bet. Um a lot going on here, though, Ted. Uh, Shawn Michaels was in line for a huge push coming off WrestleMania 11. And that next year, of course, he'd become the flag bearer for the company, um, right. which is a huge departure from what Vince had been us- doing usually with with the big guys as his champion. Um, for right now, though, Vince is going with what worked best in the golden age, big guys on top. So you came from the, gold- the golden age. I'm wondering, uh, what were your thoughts on Shawn Michaels? Well, I... I uh... You know, Sean to this day is, is you know has become a very a very good friend, and uh, I saw I saw the talent in Sean Michaels uh, from the very get go, and um, you know I, you know uh, and the other thing about Vince, Vince was a guy who liked big guys. I mean, he you know he liked the big muscled up guys, and he had tendency of. I mean that you know who who was his you know outside Andre the Giant you know Hulk Hogan was like his featured baby face you know a, a great big guy, but you know when you when you when you put the kind of talent that that Sean has, and and the other thing is the one thing that you can't teach any wrestler is charisma. Uh-huh. You either have charisma or you don't, and the more charisma you have, a lot of charisma. Can can make up for uh, a few inches in height. I'll tell you what, and Shawn Michaels, as we all know, has you know a ton of charisma, uh, and 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 it showed. It just it 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 came through all the time, and um, you know and you know as as it turned out, you know, Vince's choice ended up being a very good one. Yeah, and I mean, good on him. You know, uh, the big guy thing was maybe not working quite as well as it had before, and he's seen these reactions for Sean. It's like, man, you got to try something because business was not good at this time. Yeah. Um, and speaking of business not being good, a guy who gets a lot of the blame at this time is Sean's buddy Kevin Nash because he's on top as the WWF champion. Um, and a lot of people call him the worst drawing champion in history, which I think is pretty unfair. I think it was just a downtime in the business. 
but what did you think of Kevin as the flag bearer for the company? Well, you know, and uh, uh, Kevin's a great guy, and and uh, obviously he, he had size, he had the stature, and everything. Uh, you know, and uh, he he's better on the mic. Uh, I, you know, as he I watched him progress. Uh, you know, and I you know I guess I could see some people's disappointment. Uh, you know, but again. Uh, Vince's vision. I mean, that's the one thing nobody knew. What, what's Vince's vision down the road? Where, where does he see this going? And, and and as it all worked out, it all ended up working out pretty dang good for everybody. I mean, Kevin Nash, no matter how you slice it, he was yeah. a big success. He's a Hall of Famer. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Seven, seven foot tall, handsome, like muscular. It's like, I, well, I, uh, yeah, I yeah. And, on no, no kidding. And, you know, and, and, and you can add, you know, uh, Kevin's been in several movies now. I mean, this, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say he's a movie star, but you know, he's not, he's not the rock, but I mean, I've seen Kevin in a lot of movies. Yeah. So yeah. he's done. Okay. He, he's obviously done something right. <laughs> <laughs> he did all right for himself. Yeah. Um, so behind but the scenes, I, I don't know. I, I, I you know, I, I don't know. I said, you know, there would be some guys cause you know, Kevin came along and, and Scott Hall came along. It was almost like a, 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 a uh, a package deal, you know, and, and, and Sean became very close with them. And, you know, you know, all these, uh, everybody's got, you know, all their little clicks going. And I, I tried to stay away from that. You know, I, I'm not in the click, you know, I'm one of the boys. I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a heel. That's what I am. Uh, you know, they're never going to turn me baby face because that there's too many things they could do with a million dollar man as heel. So, um, I was happy where I was. Well, you brought up the click and it's interesting because I've got this right here in my notes. You know, Kevin and Sean, they were, of course, members. Uh, Razor, a one, two, three kid. Hunter Hearst Helmsley's getting ready to arrive to the company here, uh, which is actually in our notes coming up. But, um, you know, a lot of people said that it was bad for business, um, say that they were kind of pull, pulling some really kind of cruel, stiff ribs on people at times, creating trouble. Uh, did you have any experiences with that or witness any of it? Um, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm sitting here, th I'm trying, I'm trying to think of something and I can't, you know, so, uh, you know, if they, if they pulled any bad ribs on people, you know, uh, number one, it was never on me. And obviously, uh, I, I don't, I can't remember any of those ribs, but you know, if there were, if there were some that, I mean, guys like, do. I mean, ribs, I mean, there's all kinds of guys that do ribs. I mean, uh, uh, who was one of the biggest rivers? Uh, Kurt Hennig. Oh, God. Kurt Hennig was a big river. And, uh, oh, gosh. Um, I hear uh, Owen all the time as well. Owen Hart. Oh, yeah. That was the, that's what I was trying to think of. Owen. Owen was, oh, he was the ultimate river. I <laughs> 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 oh, think about Owen, though. It's like nobody, you know, nobody really, nobody got pissed at Owen because you know, all Owen's ribs were pretty dang good. They, it was funny. And, you know, it's kind of like, uh, uh, when you're on the road like we were all the time, you know, to have a good laugh uh, means a lot.
<laughs> no doubt about it absolutely and look it's it's uh, you get a bunch of guys together too it's like yeah. eventually they're just going to start fucking with each other it's pretty inevitable yeah. well we can move on uh as i mentioned a little bit ago you're getting paired with psycho sid a uh, huge guy unbelievable look uh rumor has it that maybe he wasn't exactly all in on the wrestling business or super passionate about it uh what did you think of being paired with sid here uh well you know um i I got a, I got along okay with Sid, you know. Uh, I didn't think he was the greatest talent in the world. I, I thought he was very good on the mic, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but uh, his 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 ring skills lacked a little, uh, you know. So I mean, uh, I was okay with it, you know. And, and I you know, and at you know, uh, Sid's not really a he's just a different kind of guy, you know. And and, and once you realize that, you know that. But but I mean, I ended up. I had some fun times with him, you know, and he, and he would, he opened up and got, but I'll tell you what he's, uh, what his, what his other passion was, was baseball. Softball. Yeah. That's what I meant. <laughs> yeah. Softball. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he talked about that all the time. So it's funny. I was going to bring up softball here just because that's kind of like the pervading thing online with Sid is like, uh, he loves softball way, way more than he loved wrestling. That might be true, but man, he had a lot of success. He was yeah. champion a couple of times, I think. Yeah. Yep, he was. Well, according to the Observer, there are a few other newcomers on their way into the WWF. Uh, he, I've got it here. John Paul Levesque will be starting as soon as his no-compete clause expires, which should be mid-May. He was at WrestleMania Fan Festival, as were Chris Candido and Tammy Fitch. Uh, Levesque, of course, is Triple H, who would be coming into the company with the uh, Connecticut Blue Blood gimmick. Uh, do you have any recollection of the first time you would have crossed paths with him? Uh, yeah, well, like one of the one he when he first came in yeah and you know nobody really knew him um i i, I remember him i can't remember what uh what show it was uh it was a whether it was a uh, just a house show or a regular show or a tv but i you know i still remember the first time i met him and i uh, you know i got along with uh i got along with paul from the beginning you know uh i liked his gimmick you know I mean, you know, you know, I mean, again, it's kind of like, you know, the, the arrogant, you know, the arrogant thing. I mean, it was similar in some ways to mine. It was, was. Yeah. It was, I mean, I was an arrogant, you know, uh, aloof SOB, if you will. Yeah. Like the guy who's rich and thinks that he's above everybody. And like, yeah, it, right, he's, right. he's got that really big nose and he would like turn it up in the air yeah, and it was yeah, great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, well, I mean, you know, right out of the gate, are you like, okay, this guy's kind of got what it takes or, you know, was he still a little bit too early to tell at, at that point? Uh, you know, I saw, I saw talent for sure, but, you know, ultimately as he progressed, you know, I guess I, I, I was like, uh, I, I ple pleasantly, I guess, shocked to see hit see how he how how he did grow i mean and how he came to be i mean then he just got you know uh he went to the top and he deserved it pretty incredible watching his rise yeah. over the years and then yeah. i mean now look at him now you know he's he's risen through the ranks on a corporate level now <laughs> which is uh pretty yeah. incredible well yeah i mean you, you know how do you do any better than marrying the boss's daughter he did all right uh, <laughs> yeah. Much like Kevin Nash, he came out okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
All right, let's call a timeout, guys. We're talking about Triple H's incredible rise, but if you'd like an incredible rise of your own, you've got to try Blue Chew. You remember the days when you were more of a push start than a pull start in the bedroom? Well, Blue Chew can help you increase your performance and regain that old confidence where it counts. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. So forget about those visits to the doctor's office, forget about the awkward conversations, and no more waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made right here in the U.S. of A. and prepared to ship direct to your door in a discreet package. But of course, as we always say, there will be nothing discreet about your package. Look, I am always skeptical of this kind of thing. And if you're like me, you kind of want to give things a try before you make any kind of a commitment. Well, that's probably the best part of this whole thing, buddy. With our deal, you can try it for one month for free. All you have to do is pay $5 shipping. This whole time, you and your partner could have been having the best sex of your life, and maybe you've been missing out on it without even knowing about it. Why not just give Blue Chew a shot and find out for yourself? Women are attracted to confidence. We all know this, and Blue Chew can help give you back your confidence where it counts. Stop waiting. Stop procrastinating. Make this thing happen now. Just give it a try. Chew it and do it. Take advantage of our special deal. Again, you can try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code EGAP at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com promo code EGAP to receive your first month free and receive a new lease on life with some new confidence. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring Everybody's Got a Pod. Uh, well, I mentioned Tammy Fitch. Uh, she's going to be sunny here in the WWF, and in a year, she'll become the most downloaded woman on the internet or some such distinction. Uh, I don't really foresee us discussing her much on the show ever in the future, uh, but rumor has it she caused some issues behind the scenes here and there. Uh, did you ever witness anything or have any any talks with her? Or nothing. Nothing. You know, for me, it was, you know, nothing. I, I stayed away from, you know, all of that. I just, you know... Smart man. Yeah. Just not my thing. You were you were experienced at this time. You knew to stay the hell out of that situation. Yeah. Uh well, another arrival at this time is your old buddy Michael Hayes, but he's not a free bird anymore, Ted. He debuts here as an announcer with a haircut and a shave. And uh what Meltzer said was a better was better clothes under the name Doc Hendricks. Uh it wasn't all that long before this that you and Michael were going to war in Mid South. Yeah. And uh, what was it like kind of seeing him in this capacity? I mean, he was like a radio DJ voice, like a totally different well, guy. Well, you know, I, I loved it because I always, I mean, Michael Hayes, you know, when, when, when he and, and uh, Terry Gordy and uh, I, you know, what was the third guy? That, um, uh, Buddy, Buddy Roberts. Buddy, Buddy Roberts, uh, when the three of them uh, were doing their thing, uh, Michael was the, he was the mouthpiece and he should have been, I mean, now, you know, the other guys, you know, they got their opportunity to talk, but Michael was the mouthpiece and he had the wherewithal and, and the uh, mental savvy. I mean, he was the guy that led that team and 
and, and led them well, very well. And I mean, everything Michael's done, in my opinion, has been very good, very good. You know, I mean, it's like, uh, I can't remember. I, I recently ran into him. We're getting on the same airplane somewhere, I think in Atlanta, you know, and, and uh, uh, I had just had a brief, brief moment to speak with him. And uh, I said, you still going at it? And he said, still there. And I said, well, you know, and I just kind of gave him this. God bless you. I said, because, <laughs> man, to, to stay in the heat there, you know, I mean, uh, it, it's it's hard. I mean, you know, I, 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 Michael loves it. And, and of course, you know, it's like wrestling was hard, but I loved it too. Uh, but that aspect of, of the business, I didn't love. And, 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 and I wasn't comfortable there, but Michael is. And, he, and he's gifted that way. Uh, you know, in terms of his creativity and, and, and uh, uh, whatever. I got the greatest respect in the world for the guy. But, the, you know, all these years later, I mean, my gosh, he's still there and still doing it. And I'm like going, man, you know, and, 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 and Vince, you know, he's the boss, man. And, you know, he's, you know, he's not, he's not always the easiest guy to get along with either. <laughs> oh, that's the, the rumor has it that that's the case. And man, good on Michael. Uh, yeah. He's, he's been doing it for a very long time now. And look, even this Doc Hendricks character, it's like, okay, it's not, it's not, you know, the free bird. It's not Michael that we were all used to, but like he kind of made it work and it was yeah. fine. He did a good yeah. job with it. Well, uh, you're with your new client, Sid, uh, and there's a parting ways between yourself and Bam Bam Bigelow, who turned babyface after a loss to Diesel when you berated him in the ring. Uh, Bam Bam was not long for the WWF after this. Uh, he requested his release later that year, and rumor has it it was actually because he was really frustrated with the with the position or with his position and the backstage influence of the click. We talked about Bam Bam's first run on episode one. Uh, do you feel that the WWF missed some opportunities with the talented big man here in, in 95 or was it about done? You know, I, you know, I, 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 I can't really say, um, uh, you know, I kind of felt like, you know, Bam Bam wasn't a bad guy, but you know, he had a little bit of an attitude to his own, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't know that his, uh, that if, you know, like, I think he feels like, I think he felt like he was like being like mistreated or not, not treated as well as he should be treated. And I didn't agree with that. You know, I, I mean, I didn't put him in the category with the guys that he was uh, talking about. Right. Right. Well, it's, you know, he had that great look and a great athlete, but it's, man, I, I, yeah. I don't think that they had any vision for him. You know, the, when he turned baby face here, he came out and he was like shooting fireballs and stuff. And it's like, okay, that's a cool visual, but like, I don't know if it's, I don't know if that's your champion. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. kind of, just kind of strange. Um, well, Ted, before we move on to in your house in the main event, I did want to get your take on this new concept from the WWF. It's in your house. It's going to mark the first of what would be a series of bi-monthly pay-per-views to go along with the big four pay-per-views that were kind of the tent pull events for the company. Uh, the WWF is struggling here a bit, and it seems like a, a way that they can essentially take what would have been house shows and get a pay-per-view and a video cassette profit on them. Wow. So. In the middle, in the middle of all this, however, uh, you've got to consider production costs, and they're also buying a damn house, so <laughs> that, that they're going to give away on TV. So I'm, I'm not sure what the deal is or how they made it profitable. I'm, I imagine they did though. If, if he kept doing these, um, at the time, how would you have viewed this opportunity? Man, you know, I, I don't know. I just, you know, basically, um, 
I, I kept my mouth shut and did what I what I did what I was told. Um, um, you know, I, I I do think that you know, like doing the you know moving it to where there's a pay per view every month. Um, I think that I didn't like that. It's kind of like you know, uh, I liked it better when it was when it was like well, actually to begin with it was there was one. It was WrestleMania. Yep. That was that was your big, big main event show, you know. And then they did them seasonally, like there were there was you know like one in the fall, one in the summer, SummerSlam, you know. And I, I don't know, I can't remember. WrestleMania was one, SummerSlam was one, and I can't remember the name of the other it's two. A Survivor Series, Royal Rumble. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I liked it when it was that way, but when they went to having a a pay per view, you know, uh, show. Every month, I thought it was just, you know, and I don't know why they did. I mean, you know, to me, uh, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, maybe they, I don't know, maybe they did it because they were hurt for money. I don't know. And, you know, it's, I, th I think on paper from a business standpoint, it probably makes sense, you know, because again, you can monetize those VHS tapes back in those days and, you know, you're monetizing pay-per-view and they were get, selling it at a discounted rate. So people will be more attracted and maybe be able to afford more of these. So I kind of get it from that standpoint. However, I think that this kind of marked the, the time when all of a sudden the storylines were moving a lot faster. You know, it used to be, you'd have a feud with a guy for four, maybe six months, sometimes eight months or a year. And and now it's like, OK, you've got a pay-per-view every single month. Uh, yeah. How how often are you going to blow these off? Maybe you got two pay-per-views to get it done. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. The, fascinating doing the comparison, Ted. And uh, well, speaking of fascinating, before the match between Diesel and Sid here at, at, in your house, we do get a promo that I had to include as our clip this week. It makes me laugh every time I see it. It's actually become kind of like an Internet uh, phenomenon where people will say Jim Ross is lying to one another. I'll let you watch here and we can talk okay. about it. A lot of people say that your desire to control the WWF championship is more like an obsession. Are you obsessed with obtaining the WWF title? You might say that, Jim Ross. You might say that I am obsessed with gaining the World Wrestling Federation title because, you see, by winning the title and bringing it to the corporation, it gives me a tremendous amount of leverage within the World Wrestling Federation. And as you know, I always like to have the upper hand. And as far as me not being able to have bought the title, when this man walks in that ring tonight and walks out with that belt, I will have, in fact, bought the title because he works for me. Sid, I've got a question for you. We all know that you can bring the heavy offense, but there are a lot of skeptics that think that perhaps you can't take it, that uh, you can't take the punishment that Diesel will give you tonight. How do you address those skeptics? Well, the skeptics and all the people have a little bit of... Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, Hal. Sorry. Anybody has any doubt, we'll get their answer tonight. Well, there you hear it, a man. A few words, Psycho said. Back to you, Todd. We're live, pal. That's that's become kind of like a, a thing online now. <laughs> people people say it to one another all the time to this day. All these years later, twenty eight years ago, uh, just yikes, man. I mean, you're standing there for it. Do you just shake your head? Do you laugh? Do you offer him advice afterwards? How does that go? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there 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 wasn't much anybody could say. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like they weren't gonna, you know. He, uh, you know, I I I don't know if those were live. You know, if that interview was live, you know, like and he's, I mean, he he didn't know what he was going to say or he, he messed up what he was saying. And he said, let's do it, do it again. And then <laughs> basically it's live. You can't do it again. Dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so anyway. 
Oh man, just amazing. I mean, we've discussed your ring and your mic skills here before, and and it does make me wonder. You know, you're paired with a talent like Sid, who's you know he's not great in the ring. He had his moments as on the mic, as you yeah. mentioned. Um, as his manager, are you like offering advice, or was your relationship with him not quite like that? Ah, uh, you know, the, the, from time to time, I would you know I I would suggest something to him, but I mean, um, you know, it's kind of like. Uh, personality wise, I mean, you know, he's going to do what he wants to do. Uh, you know, I, I could tell he, he wasn't interested in, in hearing what anybody else had to say. And that was his biggest problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I know it all, I can do it all. And, and uh, you know, it was just, he wasn't a bad guy. He's just a strange guy. I just, I, you know, I think a lot of my a lot of my peers would agree with me. It was like, uh, you know, he wasn't a totally bad guy. I mean, he could, you know, there were times when he could be really funny and have a lot of fun, and and he did love absolutely. He just lived for for uh, to play softball, for sure. I mean, he had all kinds of softball stories, but uh, I, I don't know, just different guy, just a real different guy. Well, I mean, irreplaceable look, uh, to be sure. And man, some of those promos he would do with Psycho Sid, that look he would get on his yeah. face, it was like, man, yeah. he's in, he's awesome, like intense, imposing. Yeah. Um, however, you know, the the bell rang and things wouldn't always go great, and that was that was the the case here. Um, the match wasn't good. It was a huge. I was a huge Diesel fan as a kid, uh, so yeah. when I watch it, it's fun for me. I have like nostalgia for it. But it was voted the worst match uh, by the Observer readers, and Meltzer called it clumsy and predictable. Uh, I mean, you've got two huge guys here in a featured spot. Neither of them are really exactly ring technicians. You know, traditionally they seem to perform yeah. better when when a big guy is with a with a smaller guy who can bounce around for them. Uh, what did what do you think about pairing up a couple of big guys? I mean, it, it looks well, great I mean, on a poster. You know, it's it's pairing a couple of big guys is okay if you got at least one of those guys who is capable of leading the match. Mm. That's the deal. Um, you know, um, when I first started the business, I was a, a baby face, you know, for a long time. But as I went, you know, I, I was also picking up those other skills. I mean, I, I you know, I, I was one of those guys like, you know, I could be on the first or second match when I started, but I didn't uh, have my match and, you know, shower and get in my car and leave. I, I stayed. I watched all the matches, especially the main events, because that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to eventually be in that main event. And I went, uh, again, when I was a young guy, uh, and, and, and like I said, Murdoch had first got me booked with Bill Watts. They would do their interviews you know, on a certain day every week, and I went to those. I didn't do any interviews yet. I just went and watched, and I, I knew what the storylines were. I was, I, was, I was like going to school. And I, I just kind of think that's what's been missing in our in our business, you know. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like um, uh, you know, Sid was, you know, he was okay, but he was, you know, he could. I I think his realistically, a lot of his promos were pretty good, and I think his promos were a little bit better than his ability to you know, carry a match, you know, I think he needed, I think he needed help in, in the ring. And I, you know, I've never worked with, uh, with Diesel, you know, Kevin, I've never, you know, I was, by that time I was a manager and, you know, I wasn't ever in the ring with him. 
Uh, not that I can remember anyway. Now somebody's going to come along and go, oh, yeah, you wrestled him. I don't think I did. No, because, you know, I, by the time he retired, he may have been in the company. I, I can't really recall, but I know yeah. that he was a heel, so you wouldn't have worked with him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, no, I don't think you ever got to step in the ring with him. Yeah. Um, well, I got one more question, Ted, and uh, then we'll just do a couple quick fan questions and wrap this one up this week. Okay. Um, it's, it's kind of a weird one, but it's, it's something I'm curious about with you. If you can just put on your promoter cap for a second, would you have had Kevin Nash, Diesel, as, as the champion here? Um, asked another way, given the current talent and resources that were there in 1995, uh, do you feel that he was the most marketable performer in the company? Um, well, you know, uh, refresh my memory. Who else was there with me? Well, you've got uh, in the company, like kind of the biggest stars you've got are uh, well, Diesel, of course, and then Sid is on the rise. But some of the other stalwarts are like Bret Hart. You've got The Undertaker, Razor Ramon, Shawn Michaels. Those were kind of the biggest stars in the company at the time. Yeah. Um, I guess personally, I don't I, I don't think so. I mean, um, you know, Kevin's a great guy. I love you know, I like I like him personally. Um but I, you know, he was never. I mean, he I, he developed to where I mean, you know, he he did some pretty good promos and stuff. But again, he's somebody else who uh, really needed a, a ring general in there with him. And he, if he had a ring general in there with him, like for example, Shawn Michaels, uh, Shawn's a ring general. Shawn, you know, Shawn go out there, call a match, and lead, lead, you know, lead the best of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, then he's. You know, then he's good, and but I, I think whoever carries the world title, in my opinion, is someone who needs to be able to work with anybody. My opinion. Well, and Bret Hart was there, and he was that guy. Yes, um, and and again, another guy who comes from the same background that I does, grew up in the in the wrestling business, uh, old school, and him and, and he could Bret. Brett could work with anybody. I mean, you know what? Brett and I only had one match. That's it. And I mean, we, I think we wrestled each other in, uh, in Odessa, Texas, and we wrestled uh, to a draw. Um, and um, I remember uh, when we went backstage, Pat Patterson, he said, man, he says, you guys have been spending a lot of time together. He says, that match was awesome. And we looked at each other and, and smiled and looked back at Pat and said, Pat, that's the first time we ever touched. I mean, that was the first match we ever had. And then Pat was really putting it over. And I said, because psychologically, we came from the same background of, of this is this is wrestling. You know, you got you got your guy who's your your, your heat getter. And at that time, it was me. I mean, the million dollar man was always heel. And, uh, and, and you got your baby face and, you know, like, uh, you know, the deal is, uh, you know, I make the baby face, you know, I, I beat him up, but eventually I make the baby's face shine, you know, and by, by the, by the end of it, he's kicking my butt and the, and, and the, and, uh, the bell rings and time runs out and, you know, and I, uh, you know, and he looks at me and I looked at him and like, it'll, there'll be another time, big boy. So anyway, it, anyway, it was good. 
man, you just set me on a path. I'm going to go down an internet rabbit hole and try to see if I can find footage of that match. Cause, uh, <laughs> man, that's, you I, know, I, I don't know. It. I don't know. You know, and I think I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to say that that match we did, I, I remember it was in Odessa, Texas, but I think it was done for Coliseum video. Okay. So I mean, if it was done for Coliseum video, it's out there. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could just maybe Google, um, million dollar man versus uh red heart i don't know i'm doing it and i'm sure a lot of our listeners are about <laughs> to do it so, uh, speaking of our listeners let's get to a couple of their questions here we've got francis reyes were you happy with the suit you were wearing or did you want to wear your million dollar ring gear so the shiny sh suit or the the kind of normal looking suit uh well you know the million dollar man right the the whole deal there was you know, they, they made that suit for me and it was kind of like, uh, you know, if this is the monkey suit I got to wear, okay. But like I said, when I got in the ring and, and the suit came off, you know, and it's like that, that whole deal, like the, it was just a, a, uh, the, the shirt wasn't even a full shirt. It was just, it was just enough to cover, you know, that area right. and I could snap that off, take off the jacket and Virgil would take it, you know, he would whip the uh the pants off of me you know, like kind of you know kind of like a stripper in a bar or something <laughs> <laughs> and that's the uh, real answer here is like maybe your character that that suit would have worked for you but you weren't wrestling anymore so like for you to have a tearaway suit on all the time it's inevitable that part of it's going to tear away at some point and there you are in your underwear or well whatever. that's just it the only time i wore those that that out those outfits i had I had a black and gold one. I had a uh, I had a silver one. I had a green one. Obviously, uh, I had three or four of them. Uh, and uh, but now, once I became a manager, I never wore those anymore. Then right. then I was I was wearing like just a regular suit, and I was much happier in it. <laughs> <laughs> Last question this week. It's from Thomas. Is there anyone in this era that Ted would have liked to see join the million dollar corporation or someone that he pushed to join, but just never happened? It's, you know, you know, uh, you guys, I, I need a little grace here. I'm uh, almost 70 years old. And, well, uh, if I can suggest somebody how about the newly arriving Hunter Hearst Helmsley, that kind of feels like a fit, right? Oh yeah. If I could have got him. And of course, you know, uh, that's the other thing about Paul, you know, he, you know, it, it was like, I don't know that anybody really, when he first started, saw what he was going to become. No. I mean, I, I, I think Paul did a real good job of coming of age and shocking everybody. He did a hell of a job, you know? Yes. Yes, and, he did. And, 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 and ended up being one of the, one of the greatest workers we've ever had. I know, you know, at, at the time, it's I kind of look at him like, okay, he's like, you know, he's a mid-card guy, like Intercontinental Champion guy, but he continually evolved his character, oh, oh, you know? Oh, absolutely. And and it made him a star. Absolutely. And I'll tell you the other thing that I, that I, where I give him a lot of credit, I mean, you know, like, um, you know, um, I'd, I'd hate to, I would have hated to go to Vince McMahon and say, Vince, uh, I'm marrying your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> but, My God, but, uh, no, but I'm, I'm I'm just joking there. But uh, just in general, I, I know, like last year, uh, 
they they had me go down to NXT and do that thing with Cameron Grimes because apparently Cameron had le- legitimately made a lot of money in the stock market, you know, because oh. he follows the stock market. And so he, he, he legit made a bunch of money, you know? And so, and they, so they said, man, well, let's, let's, let's have a little story here about, you know, him trying to, he starts to act like me now. Right. And he's, yep. he's doing all this stuff. And so we, they had me come in and he goes and he buys this diamond bezeled watch and, or this, this really nice expensive Rolex. And I come up behind him and I go, nice watch, kid. Then I hold up the diamond bezeled watch and go, but it's not a million dollar watch. <laughs> I laugh and walk away. So anyway, it was, we did two or three weeks like that. It went a little longer than they anticipated, uh, you know, because uh, it got over. That, that's where I kind of, you know, now I'm, I'm seeing Triple H as the boss. He's the guy running NXT. Every, every week and you know and he's he's coming and going from you know from stanford and, and it's like you know it's like wow man i don't i don't think he even ever envisioned you know when he married into the family that i don't know maybe he did but i just applaud him because he did a hell of a job unbelievable i mean i mean the guys uh there's a lot of uh while i was there the period of time that i was there I watched a lot of guys that I, I saw potential in and, uh, you know, and eventually they started moving them up and they've done well. And so again, I give credit to, uh, to triple H for a lot of hard work, man, man, uh, above and beyond expectations, yeah. I would say. And really like, you know, after the whole curtain call incident, which I hope you and I are going to talk about here someday soon after the whole curtain call incident, he got all the heat because Sean was champion and the other two were leaving. So all the heat went to triple H and, uh, that actually was the birth of kind of stone cold Steve Austin at, at King of the ring. Cause apparently Hunter was supposed to get it. So despite all that, uh, he still rises all the way through the ranks, becomes yeah. a, a great wrestler, a great champion, and now, like you know, a, a, one of the biggest figures in in the office setting for the WWE. Yeah. Just yeah. remarkable. Yeah, just remarkable. And and uh, you know, and you know what? He ha- you know he worked his way all the way to top. You know that none of none of that comes easy. None of it. None of it does come easy. It is remarkable. And I think what we're doing here on the podcast is remarkable, Ted. That's going to do it for this week. Uh, uh, I appreciate it, Marcus. Thank you so much. And, oh man, man, it's it's, you know, it's you're, been you're, a blast. you're helping me go down memory uh, memory lane, and uh, you, know, you know it's kind of like uh, I I don't know if I told the fans all this, but I, I'm dealing with this. This is legit. Uh, I don't have Alzheimer's, and I don't have dementia. Uh, but they said they they said Ted, you have something. We just something call it severe brain trauma. I said really, you know, I only wrestled for maybe almost 20 years. So I'm not surprised that I might have a little brain trauma, but what's, what, what, what it affects is my memory. Uh, and they say, you know, it's, it, you know, I, they say it'd be easier for you to remember something you did you know, like 40 or 50 years ago. And then, but the short term memory, some of the stuff like now, but uh, it's bits and pieces. I mean, it's kind of like, and having had a almost 20 year active career, I mean, I physically wrestled almost 20 years. And that's, you know, in the early days of that, 
there were no days off. That was seven days a week we wrestled. Man. And, you know, until I went to the, well, until I went to the WWF and, and then even then when, when we first, when I first started with them was three straight weeks on 21 days, 21 cities, and then you go home for a week. And then, then they eventually changed it to 10 on three off four on and three off. So you were home a little more. So, uh, but again, um, you know, I just, I thank God I'm still here. <laughs> Man, and uh, like, we're not even talking about all the years you played football. And yeah, it's like, I'm uh, 100% yeah. you're going to have some, yeah. some, I played football in high school. I'm sure I've got it. And I didn't take a, a wrestling bump once in my whole life. So. <laughs> <laughs> So, so no, man, no. And you're doing a hell of a job, Ted. I'm having a real blast doing this. And like I said, the, the feedback has been great. And by the way, um, you know, if you're looking to, to hear some clips from our show, if you're looking to catch up and if you're looking to get some YouTube exclusive material, we actually just put up our first YouTube exclusive video today as this is recording. You've got to go over to YouTube.com forward slash at everybody's got a pod and up until the end of june we're doing a giveaway i've got this right here you signed it it's a signed funko pop um we've got one of those but we have 11 of these signed panini select trading cards uh that you personally signed and we're giving them all away all you've got to do is go to youtube.com forward slash at everybody's got a pod and subscribe and that's it you're in so again, it runs till the end of June. Go over there and subscribe now. We're rocking and rolling over there. We want you to be a part of it. Absolutely. And as I go, just always remember, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of a better way to end this. We'll catch you guys next time right here on Everybody's Got a Pod.